Today on Off Tackle Empire, down go the Buckeyes, down go the Illini, with the two conference standard bearers down, the rest of the conference wins 12 games. So, plenty of confidence heading into a full non-conference slate of week three, with one notably narrow escape. We're going to get it all here on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! You're listening to Off Tackle Empire, the only podcast that dares to ask the question, is the Big Ten too good for the rest of college football? Very easily answered. The answer is obviously yes. A pity loss talked to the toss to the Pac-12 so that Oregon can feel good about themselves. Uh, it's nice that you know we still have this magnanimous bent to us in such a dog-eat-dog world that we can, you know, we're not too big to to avoid the, the occasional act of charity. It's really the benefit of the soul that you get through an institution like the uh, like the Collegiate Research Consortium, uh, a, a beneficent spirit for all mankind. Uh, of course, the flagship institution on the athletic field will be the one to lead the way in that as they, as they lead in all other things, OH, O and 1, <laughs> as far as last week's concerned. Yep. So, um, the college football playoff picture is looking a little weird, although, of course, we do recall 2014. Um, yeah. So it's hard to really know. Like they lost the they lost another time they went in like week two to who was Oklahoma. it? Yeah, it ended up going that year as well. So it's not the end of the road for Ohio or State in that one. No, I don't think they went that year, but I think it might. I think it was like 2017. Yeah, that they had maybe that was loss maybe that was remember. too early because wasn't Baker Mayfield 2018 when he planted the flag? No, Bankfield was 2015 through 17. So uh, maybe, so it was, I think it was 17 then. Anyway, hardly matters. Um, as, as always, we're putting the cart before the horse. We will talk about Ohio State later, insofar as it's one of the more interesting games. A uh, whole lot of things that there's not going to be a whole lot to say about this week, as we had the closest thing we have in the Big Ten to a Big Ten SoCon challenge where a lot of teams are playing tomato cans. We did have a handful of notable games, so we'll still have like five or six good ones to talk about. Um, we'll get it out of the way up front, though, again, with the weird 11 o'clock kickoff. They were first on the schedule, and were, the game was basically over before any other games even kicked off. So that was <laughs> kind of them. It, the game was over before I could finish my, my first goddamn drink. I it mean, takes some this doing. took seven minutes of real time. Uh, I admit it, I was a little bit ambitious. I poured myself a very large beer mosa with pretty generous swig of vodka in there, but... Um, yeah, so basically, Illinois was not going to win this game. We're really bad on the road against uh, Power 5 non-conference opponents. But um, we could have at least not made it, you know, just a winning fantasy strategy to pick dudes against our defense, which, by the way, I'm now first in our league because I picked Brennan Armstrong, and uh, he scored the second most fantasy points of anybody in college football this uh, season. Yep, and I'm a convert. I'm I'm on board with you, and so I'm following you down that strategy. I got we're... Dante Demas next week because I have no idea how we're going to cover anybody on, on Maryland. They've got, they've got talent uh, all over that offense. My, and... only, my only hesitation is, because there's Rakeem Jarrett as well, what if they split targets? That's why I'm going with the quarterback instead with Tolia, but again... Getting ahead of ourselves here. And yeah, last you know, last week, well, two weeks ago really, before the UTSA game, I try I thought you were being a little bit of an Eeyore on this subject, and I tried to talk you out of it. 
I'm done with that. I won't get, I won't get in your way any longer. Um, you do have your finger on the pulse of this program uh, to a depressing degree. And I don't know how, I mean, I don't know how you do it. It much, much like, much like talking to the Lions fans in my life, except like you do have some success in your lifetime to sustain you. But it's a similar kind of thing where it's like, I know how this is going to go before the game even starts. Um, and, well, and, yeah, I think can... what's happening is now it's becoming abundantly clear, and especially since it's, I expect them to look more prepared in the next two weeks. It's hard to imagine them looking less prepared, but still, I don't think the gap is going to close up enough to get that much better against the pass. <laughs> Our next two opponents are Maryland and Purdue, yeah, that's so not that's, that's not great. But, uh, but overall, big picture, it's just like... Uh, Obviously, we're three games in. You can't fire a coach. That's not what I'm saying. But I am yeah. saying that I think they need to do better because they're not recruiting well enough to be able to afford to go 2-10 and ten this year. Okay, because yeah. you never recruit better than your initial pitch before, until you start winning, right? You get to a school, and then you have some baseline level of recruiting success based on you know your previous resume, what you're saying to these guys initially. And then you get on the field and... Sometimes that changes, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it gets worse, but it never gets better until you start winning. The one nit I might pick here is if he's so inclined and if he has the ability to do it, he could take the Mel Tucker route here. Because I think part of the reason Tucker was able to get so many high-impact transfers last offseason is he was able to point to that first, even in a weird COVID year, year of results on the field and say, you better believe you're going to play right away if you come here. And that worked, again, I mean, if you get half the impact guys that Tucker did out of the portal, you can consider that a successful trip into the transfer market. So Absolutely, but if you look at the way Tucker's recruiting now, it's a pretty clear echelon above where, where yeah. Illinois is. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. So basically just going to have to do a little better. I'm just refused yeah. to treat another first-year Illinois coach with kid gloves because... Damn it, I know that we're signing up for purgatory where in theory it doesn't matter what we do on the field in the next three years, but I'm not going to accept that because it does matter because at some point you have to convince recruits to come here. We're not recruiting in the top 25. Um, How about this? The 2022 recruiting class is 44th nationally near the bottom of the Big Ten. Lovey Smith's 2017 recruiting class as he slogged through 2016 after losing at home to Daryl Hazel was... 46th nationally, near the bottom of the Big Ten. Yeah. So that means that I can't ignore any of the red flags. And nothing has been as bad as that loss to Purdue, but it better get better. <laughs> That's true. I'm not, I'm not willing to write off the next 24 games as they don't matter. They matter. There is there is something of a potential hope with Bielema that wasn't there with Smith, though, because it became apparent relatively quickly Smith did not have much in the way of a developmental aspect to his program. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't necessarily remember a whole lot of players getting markedly better. Bielema in his time, certainly at Wisconsin and to a to somewhat of a lesser degree at Arkansas, did make guys better. And so I think what you're going to have to hope is that he can do better. Because with results like that, for you know, Illinois' recruiting hasn't, been so bad the last several years that the roster should be getting outclassed by Virginia like this, for example. Virginia probably recruits yeah. about in that stratosphere themselves. So I mean, they've recruited better, but as I was saying, we didn't have the talent to win this game, but our talent also wasn't that bad. Yeah, it should not I was have, yelling should not have people been about yeah. on, on Twitter about this. Oh, no talent in that defensive secondary as Kirby Joseph rips the ball out of Ketone Thompson's hand on the one-yard line. Uh, yeah. 
You know, so that's the deal. And good coaches make their players better, right? right. Yeah. So you expect the, you know, if we have good coaches this time, then you just can't say, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just, you know, out-recruit people in here. Because if you can't ever win a game with a talent disadvantage, you're not going to win in Champaign. You're just not going to do it. So um, a lot of time, do better. Yeah, I've, I've already stated that it was possible that uh, that he's some combination of, of Gary Moeller and Dan Hawkins based on, you know... Goodness. Well, because Gary Moeller uh, was hired on as the Michigan head coach after a very successful coach became the athletic director. That's the most direct analog I can think of. Gary yeah. Moeller also notably failed to turn around a struggling program in Illinois. So... And then Illinois got sanctioned because of it. So, uh, as, as was right and just, there was nothing wrong with that. So anyway, that's just that's just where we are. We're the worst team in the Big Ten. Um, Nebraska should continue to feel very embarrassed about losing to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially what's been happening against the pass, getting no pass rush. And also, like, it's amazing when you get no pass rush and also don't cover, guys. <laughs> it's just yeah. so demoralizing. So, <laughs> the next two weeks are looking rough. Charlotte's looking like our season right now. If we go one and eleven, then I think maybe you do consider the long-term future of this coaching staff. Because holy shit, how can you go? How can you lose eleven games in a row and then expect to recruit enough to to, to compete here? Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, the the pitch is that honestly, recruits are not solely attracted by winning, and paradoxically, especially at a Power Five conference, if you can say, "Look, I need you right now, kid," then that's a that's a a thing that would, in theory, a appeal to some kids now again it's not right here right now and that's a little bit of a problem because it doesn't matter to, very much for Bielema if the 23 class buys that pitch if next year's doesn't he's going to be up a creek if he doesn't get better yeah, results because we've got like we've got 42 guys who could in theory graduate yeah right we've yeah. got we've got 20 super seniors and then 22 actual seniors like the COVID seniors right so much again like his predecessor Year two gonna be bad because everybody graduates. So you got some talent to work with. If He's, you're, if I, yeah, I, you got four former former Power Five defensive coordinators on that staff. You got to figure out how to at least contain the pass enough where it matters if your offense is on the field. I don't think he has any choice but to hit the portal extremely hard this offseason. If he doesn't get a good ten to fifteen guys who are ready to play at a Power Five level. They're not gonna make his. I mean, like we talked about this in the past, long term. I mean, like early in the Beckman tenure, it was, you know, how often do coaches start with this kind of record? Will they win like three or four games their first two seasons and work out? They just don't. Yep. So there's got to be more success in year two same than they're thing, set up same for right thing now. Lovey Smith, right? Yeah. It's just it at a certain point, it just becomes one of those porcupine graphs. Whereas the actual results go down. Then the projections continue to be like, oh, but it's going to go up now. <laughs> it's like, right? well, it has to go up a lot it's, sharper. It's bag holding for this a to stock to zero. Yeah. Um, so anyway, good news do is, better. yeah. Good news though is that we can cycle through a whole bunch of the other games quickly. You're not in for a two-hour episode, despite that conversation, because a lot of blowouts by a bunch of tomato cans that there's not a whole lot to talk about. Indiana 56, Idaho 14, big rebound game for Michael Penix and the offense in general. I'm still reasonably optimistic that he's an impact starter for them. I I do wonder if being in front of a crowd for the first time in over a year, he was coming off a torn ACL as well. Maybe he didn't necessarily trust his footwork. 
Um, I still, I'm still looking at that game as what I think at the end of the year will be more of an aberration than a sign that they were a flash in the pan. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about games where the offense just completely imploded, rattled the quarterback early, um, the Saints beat the Packers 38 to three yesterday. <laughs> right, weird, weird stuff happens. I'm, like it was, I'm trying to remember if we, if I made this analogy last week or not, but. You could tell in that game that Penix was all his routes were squiggly and the buttons by the receivers were question marks. Like he had, he was thoroughly rattled. So uh, obviously much better. Again, Idaho, a bad FCS opponent. There's not a whole lot to talk about there. Uh, Maryland sixty-two, Howard nothing. Maryland got a lot of run for their freshmen on, in the front seven on defense. A lot of promising things there. Uh, Tango Bailoa continues to look like he's in control of this offense. Good rapport with Dante Demas and Jarrett. It's a great combo out wide. Probably not getting any attention nationally yet, but I'll tell you, in a few more weeks, if they keep putting up the kind of numbers they are, we may have to view this as the year of the receiver in the Big Ten because there are a lot of guys putting up video game numbers. And I don't think anybody nationally really talks about Demas or Jarrett yet, but they should be. And I think Tango Bailoa could be a dark horse for the silver football, especially if Ohio State's not on their undefeated season track, meaning their quarterback doesn't automatically get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Penn State rolled over Ball State, a fairly good, a good Ball yeah, State. A good team, MAC but... team. That's what I think they played for the conference title last year. I believe they won it, actually. Yeah, so if Sean Clifford can maintain this newfound ball security he's got this season, he, I don't know if I would say he looks like a different quarterback, but he certainly looks like a more... Confidence probably not the word because you would normally assume a confident quarterback would take more risks, but I think that Will Levis transferring out could be good for him. He certainly does seem to be more attuned to the need to protect the ball. They have dialed down the aggressiveness with the with the deep shots downfield a bit, and they're probably going to have to find a way to crank that back up a little bit if they want to get past the likes of you know your Michigan, Ohio State, whoever. But it's. Hard not to like what you're seeing from Penn State. The defense looks like it could be legit, which after losing some of the pieces they did last year was a little bit of a question. God, did you see Mike Parsons against Buccaneers? No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, n- neither did any of the Buccaneers receivers. <laughs> or anyone he was supposed to be covering. Well, sure. It's a little bit different being in college and then, well, you know, honestly covering a, another former Nittany line. Like, how often do you think he'd have to cover a guy like Chris Godwin in college? Um so, yeah, I, I did not catch any of that game. It Most NFL games do not interest me. I keep one eye on them on Sundays for fantasy purposes, and that's about well, it. Well, like, a, a, a series of incredible bullshit, of incredible, like, a series of incredibly bullshit events uh, allowed Tom Brady's team to win a game again. <laughs> right, so why would I watch that? Yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. Michigan State 42, Youngstown State 14. A little bit concerning, perhaps, that the defense struggled to get off the field against an opponent they knew couldn't throw the ball much. But nonetheless, second consecutive week, they called the touchdown play on the first play from scrimmage. I See, this is why the last few years of the D'Antonio era, I was so pissed off. Why aren't they calling the touchdown play more? Uh, Mel Tucker's staff seems a lot more inclined to call the touchdown play, especially early in the game. I think it's good when you call the touchdown play uh, right out of the gates and get off to a good start. So um, offense looks a lot better, a little bit more confidence in the passing attack on a slightly higher volume. Obviously, the degree of difficulty goes up considerably going down to Miami for a noon kick in mid-September. Well, anyway, Purdue 
49, UConn 0. It was 35 nothing at the half. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only problem was that they lost Xander Horvath for quite some time. Yeah, twenty-eight some surgery today. A twenty-eight point second quarter. He's he figures to be out for most of the rest of the regular season. I think Four to eight weeks is what I saw. Yeah, I I thought it was six to eight, but eight definitely on the long end. So in either case, he's out for at least a month. Some good news here, and again, opponent quality does factor into this consideration a little bit. But with Horvath down, that does open opportunities, and they found some production on the ground in the combination of King Doru and Dylan Downing. So maybe they get a little bit more depth, balance, productivity out of that run game as a counterweight to the pass, and we'll we'll see if this offense really opens up to its full potential here. Losing Horvath is not a great thing, but still, if it gives other guys opportunities and shakes things up, maybe they end up getting improvement out of that. That's a possibility. Uh, man, UConn threw for less than 100 yards in the game that they trailed basically from the opening kick. Uh, just quit. Or, like, There's nothing wrong with quitting. Quitting is a perfectly reasonable response to what they've had. What are they what they've done. doing as a as a program anymore? Did they go down to FCS yet, or has that yet to I, happen? They're still kicking the can on that. Why bother? <laughs> Just join the Patriot League. You could probably be pretty competitive there. Yeah, I think they could finish second or third in that conference most years. You could do a football only membership there. I don't see why that would be a problem. I mean, well, or I don't know where Villanova is, but they've got an FCS team like that. They're they're in a major basketball conference. Yeah. But they've got an FCS football team. A good one. A, per- a, pretty, a, per- a pretty good perfectly one. respectable you go existence. Get your ass kicked by Villanova. I mean, just figure out what they've got going on. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin 34, Eastern Michigan 7. The Badger defense le- yielded less than 100 total yards in this game, and that touchdown was actually a pick six thrown by the backup quarterback. So this is not the normal margin we're used to seeing from the Badgers in these macrifice games. We're used to, you know, like 60, 70 something to nothing. Um, they still some questions on offense in my mind, a little bit of a lack of dynamism in that air attack. That's going to be a real problem because they're off next week and then they play the fighting Irish. You're going to need to be able to throw the ball to keep up with that offense. Yep. Northwestern 24, Indiana state six, um, the functional September Nothing Northwest, happened. yeah, September Northwestern blowout right here. Cause it's more than a three point victory. So, um, <laughs> after, after Hunter Johnson looked very impressive in week one, Fitz put the shackles right back on him. He completed nine passes, and Fitzgerald's probably never been happier with the box score. Um, he let Evan Holt take care of this one. I don't, I don't know if the results from that one-game sample size are such that you really want to throttle down the pass attack that much, but that's the well, approach they're taking. The so is, I, of course, criticize Hunter Johnson for being a stairs-down-his-first-read guy, but... Yeah. You can have a lot more success. I mean, it's you can do a lot worse than a stares down his first reads and make an accurate throw guy. You can have a stares down his first read, gets happy feet, and then throws it like a second too late, like Art Sitkowski. Yeah, and, I mean, look, Johnson was good against Michigan State. There's no question about that. Absolutely, he, he no. Kept him, he kept him in the game longer than they had any right to be, given how their defense played. Um. All right, and then another game. That certainly happened. Yeah, that certainly happened. But look, this is a this is another step in the right direction because I think we I don't think we were the only people nationwide who had one eye on Nebraska Buffalo as a possible problem because Buffalo. I mean, this game would have been different. I think if Lance Leopold was still the coach and hadn't taken a fistful of starters with him when he left for Kansas. Yeah, he did leave a pretty good roster behind, and it's a but big an incomplete. Yes, but it is a, it is a big step of returning quarterback and a couple other pieces on offense, 
And it's a big step for this defense to be able to hold down a guy like Kevin Marks. I think he had like 80-something yards on pretty good volume. Uh, I also think, again, continuing the year that now, this being the year of the receivers, Samori Toure really looks like the outside threat this offense has been looking for the whole time Frost has been there. They had a hard time stopping a pretty good Mac offense in Week 0. Yeah. You can see the progression over a few <laughs> weeks here. So, so, again, that's why... It's becoming increasingly clear that Scott Frost was absolutely right about what happened there. I do think Illinois is the worst team in this league, and that Nebraska is also probably fairly bad, but that Nebraska absolutely took themselves out of this game against Illinois in Week 0 by the way they prepared it's it's really baffling. And what's happened to both teams since then has just suggested more and more that that's what happened. Well, just remember, amazing. They, they did struggle with Fordham for a little bit before they found their footing there, and then they hit the gas. And all that being said, though, I I do still wonder if there's if there's something there. I, I I'm more interested in. The, I th- I think most people still think this Oklahoma game is going to be a massacre, and that's the most likely outcome. But I don't think it's out of the question that Nebraska finds ways to keep this game close. They do have the talent. So far, it's just been a matter of avoiding the huge mistakes and of, well, I mean, a subcategory of that not turning the ball over. Martinez has been better with that the last couple weeks. Again, opponent quality factors in here in Oklahoma is a different thing. Yeah, but they're no Tulane. You think they can go in their big willy style and put the fear of God into them? Exactly. So I'm not saying that I expect Nebraska to cover... Well, actually, I think it's like a 22-point spread or something. Maybe so can, Maybe Willie Fritz is going to hang out there a little longer. We get we get, a, get some coaching stability. Hey, hey, hey. Nope. No coaching no coaching talk right now. It's week three. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, like the carousel's not already turning. Anyway. Well, yeah, we'll get to that at the end. Minnesota, 31. Miami, hydroxide, 26. Whoa. This was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And... It's strange because you look at this game flow and it's not like Miami started lighting it up on offense. It was just that Minnesota buttoned it up and shut it down to such an extent that they gave the Red Hawks a little bit of space to get back into this. It became very apparent that the plan is just to plug Trey Potts exactly into the Mo Ibrahim role. They gave him... So here, Minnesota ran, excluding Neil Downs, 60 plays on offense, which by the way, pretty low volume for a modern football game and of those Trey Potts carried the ball 34 times um it felt a little bit like a D'Antonio approach where they got a lead they tried to salt it away way too early and basically stopped throwing the ball after halftime became predictable let their opponent get a couple stops and then ended up having to score to keep pace as they closed the gap kind of like when you kind of have something to do but you're finishing up a game on like the PS2 and you're running it down three two one snap the ball all right yeah and then just 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 no huddle no huddle run the same play I got 34 seconds I can fold some laundry Um. (laughs) yeah it it does sound from what I, I poked around on social media a little bit it sounds as though Chris Ottman Bell is getting close to coming back like he might have been able to play in this game but they decided to hold him out that would be a very good thing. I think this offense really needs his presence. Dalen Wright and Daniel Jackson are nice pieces, but I don't think either of them's a top guy. I think they need Ottman Bell to be that guy. Uh, the other thing that's a little concerning for Minnesota here is even with Miami throwing it a pretty good amount, uh, Minnesota's pass rush did not get home for a single sack in this game against the MAC offensive line. Again, Miami's a pretty good MAC team, but you really ought to be able to get a little bit of pass rush there. 
And that's been a weakness for them for a couple years outside of like that one year Kyra Coughlin was pretty good. Man, Gabbert to Hippenhammer for a score. <laughs> that's something you thought you'd hear ever? Uh, what does that sound like? I mean, it, I mean, it sounds like a couple of fantasy characters or something. Like, you know, something out of... Like, these, these are characters in The Hobbit. Um, I don't know. Hippenhammer sounds a little more steampunk to me. It could be, yeah. I can see that. So, Rutgers 17, Syracuse 7. Um, I'm just... Syracuse yeah, just... Just continuing to marvel at the spiral of Dino Baber's reputation as an offensive mind just in, into the pit of oblivion. Seven points against Rutgers, man. Well, you know what? I don't know why they haven't been lumping Dino Babers in with Scott Frost and Jeff Brom as coaches that are really, really good at play calling. You're who, very good offensive coordinators. Who might not have the... Just might not yeah. be able to run a program at this level. Uh, Dino Babers has certainly struggled more than those two in recruiting. Uh, we are just boring my Millie Hound to tears <laughs> with this discussion of Rutgers football. She is just... She's sawing logs over there. I don't know if that's getting through the mic. Yeah, it, it is also perhaps worth commenting on I know they put up a 60, what, two against Temple there, but this Rutgers offense is still, I was expecting that they would develop a little bit more of a complete passing attack this offseason. I don't know why I thought that. I guess I assumed it was. You know, that, that 60 spot against Temple was mostly due to the defense forcing turnovers. Mm-hmm. They got a score. They were mm-hmm. giving them short fields. Yeah. That was very much aided by the defense. The offense was obviously functional, but it wasn't like they were, yeah. you know, just, just, throwing it down the field all the time. And I think this Rutgers defense is going to keep them in more games than they used to be in. But I don't know if they're going to take a big step forward in the win-loss column once they get into Big Ten play with an offense that's still pretty limited. I mean, their defense had to pitch, I think, a total of five sacks and a handful more tackles for loss, create a couple turnovers to keep Syracuse off the board entirely while the offense, while the Rutgers offense went on this vision quest and didn't really come alive until late in the game. So again, there's still not much vertical element there. I was I had my eye on Bo Melton as another potential, you know, big senior year candidate type of guy. He hasn't really gone that way yet. It's early yet, but not really promising returns for the Rutgers offense if they want to take that next step forward. And Shiano has been a defense first guy his whole career. I actually remember in the later Shiano years, uh, the Rutgers defense being a very reliable fantasy pick. Um, I gave them a, a, I a gave very them a, weird thing to think of. I gave them a long look this week hosting Delaware. They did finally settle on a quarterback, uh, Noah Vedrill. Of course, Syracuse had to bring in somebody in relief of uh, of alternate universe Rutgers star Tommy DeVito. Yeah. Uh, who would have figured that that Eric Dungey was the only reason Babers had any success there at all. He can't replace that guy at all. And he was like the weirdest. He reminded me a little bit of Colin Kaepernick with his play style. Yeah. But I was like, I didn't think that guy was that good that they would fall off of the face of the earth once he was gone. I remember him leaving a game early for something that I can't believe doesn't happen more. He got a field turf pellet in his eye. Uh, oh, man. Like in the first quarter. And I think he missed the rest of the game. God. Oh, I can't believe that doesn't happen more. Those though. things are also sweaty. Like they're all just sweaty forever. Oh, just cut my eye out if that happens. God. All right. Anyway, speaking anyway, of yeah, speaking Rutgers of speaking definitely of, has places to improve on offense, but uh, again, the baseline confidence of this team is just unthinkably high given what we were dealing with two years ago. Of course, 
I've always been assured that no coach could possibly turn around something like that in this short amount of time. Mm. But here we are. Speaking of unthinkably uncomfortable things to look at with your eyes, uh, Michigan 31, Washington 10. I'm really trying to be fair and not undersell the quality of this win. Uh, Washington's offense is friggin' ass, my dudes. Uh, they are so bad. John Donovan's their offensive coordinator. How did that guy get another job Holy calling an hell. offense? So and you and this you saw the inevitable result. This was an interesting thing because I feel like we should have this kind of thing happen more often, where two sides of a rivalry play each other. Yeah, I thought it was really cool, but yeah. I looked at it and I realized, holy shit! Outside of the Chris Peterson era, Oregon over Washington is basically Ohio State over Michigan. Like Pretty it's much. it's yeah. bad. Yeah, and Chris Peterson had Washington among the national elite for three seasons, and that's kind of been it. And I can't believe how quickly they've fallen off the face of the earth in his absence. Yeah, they presumably they thought that they were handing it over to his chief lieutenant and that they'd have some ability to carry it over. But yeah, there, there are signs here that despite continuing to have a decent amount of NFL talent on the defensive side, that Jimmy Lake is not exactly going to be finding your various Jake quarterbacks to run a functional offense to go with it. And Washington's play calling was so bland, so predictable, so run-heavy. I get that they've got a relatively new quarterback and they're short receivers. You've got to come up with some kind of passing threat, though. And they made, they made all kinds of weird calls about when to go for it on fourth down. They, did, they left points on the board early. They're, they visibly deflated after a certain point in the game. And I will give some credit where credit is due here, though. Fairly early on, I don't remember if it was late first or early second quarter, but around that stage of the game, I'm still very much in doubt. Um, Harbaugh called an absolutely perfectly timed fake punt. I believe the next play, or maybe two plays later, Coram cracked that long touchdown run. And that, to me, I was like, all right, well, Michigan's got this one in the bag for sure. It has been discussed a good deal here today in the sports media that Michigan, these first two weeks, has really not worked in their, their pass offense very much. They leaned on the run extremely heavily in this game. And granted, they ran for like 330-something against this pretty good defense. But if they want to get where they want to go, if they want to beat Wisconsin on the road, if they want to beat Penn State, beat Ohio State, they got to be able to throw the ball. We don't necessarily know that they can't. And they want, well, no, but wouldn't you rather know that you can than not know that you can't? Uh, especially <laughs> after you lose your number one wide receiver. Like, do, do you want to figure out who your go to target is when on third and eight? At the end of the day, like. Because it shouldn't be Blake Corum. I didn't think that Michigan had a chance to really just completely implode and lose, you know, especially after Washington kind of fell on their face in week one, lose these games at the beginning of the season. What Michigan is, and has been under Jim Harbaugh, is a very effective gatekeeper to the top 20. If you can't beat Michigan, you don't belong there. That's true. Um, in fact, not only if you, you don't, if you don't belong there, Michigan will remind you of that fact like, pretty decisively. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and so again, like, there's been a lot of nitpicking about play calling and everything here. If you develop a run game that really does have to be feared and respected, I think you can afford to an extent to hold back your stuff in the past game. But it's not like they're breaking in a whole new playbook and nobody knows what they're calling. I mean, Gaddis has been there. This is year three for him, I believe. And you do still, again, with Bell out, you know, Dalen Baldwin is still new to the program. 
you have a couple younger guys in Roman Wilson and AJ Henning you're going to need big things out of. I still think they really ought to have tried more downfield stuff. If it's in this game as well as the Western Michigan game, it'll be interesting to see how they approach play calling. But anyway, hard to nitpick about a three-score win, even at home, over what most people thought was a good team. We'll see how this win ages. I I don't know if Washington's making it to a bowl this year. And I don't think that's a particular hot take on my part. And I'm not I'm not saying that to necessarily discredit Michigan. I'm just really astonished at. At how the swan much, dive, yeah. how quick the swan dive was that this program took, and they were ranked in preseason. Like it's not like no, nobody thought they were any good. So this should have been a quality win on Michigan's schedule. I don't know if it's going to hold up that way. We'll see. But again, the the defense was still a pretty rugged nut to crack, and to run the way they did is impressive, no doubt about it. Oregon thirty-five, Ohio State twenty-eight. And make no mistake, this game really wasn't as close as that score for most of it. Ohio State had no answer for Oregon's rushing attack from the beginning, and they were chasing the game flow the entire game. So we've, we made a lot about this in the offseason. How do you beat Ohio State? Well, if you want the formula, it's really not super complicated. At least as to this iteration, first, you just acknowledge the Buckeyes are going to move it through the air sooner or later. But you gotta kind of make them work for it. You can't you can't give Olave and Wilson sixty and seventy yard touchdowns. Um, the the Ducks only conceded one play of longer than forty yards and playing a good deal of man coverage. So basically, the the short answer to this first point is you need some NFL caliber corners um, to at least put a little bit of a lid on Olave Wilson and now Jackson Smith and Jigba. No, it's, it's who, for later. Who had a fantastic game and announced his presence as a third terrible receiving threat that they're going to use this year. So that's fun. Um, you need to have a couple guys of capable of cracking the big one yourself, because one way to look at this game is that CJ Verdell's 77 yard touchdown run is the difference in the margin. And then the other thing is you have to play a clean game for lack of a, a simpler term. You can't give them an opening via turnover or screwing something up on special teams um, or defensive touchdown, and you got to hope that they make a couple of those mistakes themselves. Well, it helps to have a guy on the back end like starting safety Bennett Williams, formerly of uh, Illinois, and also the subject of Lovey Smith's famous "Sometimes divorce is good." But yep, Bennett sure Williams hell hey, is. Bennett he Williams is. Took to, he's thriving. <laughs> he took to Twitter to say that hey, four years ago it came into the horseshoe, fifty-two to fourteen, never had a realistic shot to win. Look at us now. We did it. <laughs> All it took was getting the hell out of here. Started. All it took was getting kicked off the team. Problem is, problem for him is, I'm sure, Lovey Smith will be out of the NFL before Bennett Williams gets a chance to go and personally tell him to eat it. Uh, although, from the bottom, now we're here. Lovey Smith uh, turned over Urban Meyer's star quarterback three times. Oh my God! Lovey Smith's defense defense shut down Urban Meyer in the opening week of the NFL. Not just his defense; his maybe like one of the three least talented teams in the entire NFL. <laughs> Although again, they're playing another one of those teams right at the bottom. So, so here's something that I saw that is from a thing called Buckeye Scoop with some notes. Okay, and I quote: "Things got so bad." That there was almost a wholesale revolt on the defensive side of the ball at halftime when Kerry, Kerry Coombs, defensive coordinator, was insisting on implementing a new defensive scheme mid-game that we haven't practiced in over a year. What? Nearly came to blows. True story. Six, players were so frustrated that they just started to freelance out there. End of the game stops were almost all full improvisation. 
I'd love to say this all ended up with players calling a meeting, everyone getting on the same page and everything getting fixed, but that hasn't happened yet. Not sure we have the type of kids that have the cojones to stand up like a Dante Whitner or a James Laurinaitis and directly address what needs to be done better. The only good news? Day is furious about the rotations, about the scheme, about the calls, about the clock management. Um, yeah, if, well, if he, if he has a better option on staff, or even maybe even if he doesn't, if he just has somebody who can call something that is compatible with his players... They, ought to, they could consider firing Kerry Combs. This defense has been the only vulnerability that this program well, has had for years now. Well, and the thing now. is, they didn't get a lot of pressure. And it right. was, felt like that was by design. Like, they were just trying to contain him in the pocket and not let Anthony Brown take off and run. But, Which, my goodness, how like, when you see successful yeah. defenses these days, you're talking about disrupting plays at the line of scrimmage. You're talking about getting after the quarterback. Yeah. And when has Ohio State not had superb pass rushers they have talented pass rushers they're just like as if you said, you've got to, the pass rushers like ohio state always has you got to use them you got to like at a certain point you need to just do what you've been doing successfully even if you haven't been at that team for when they've had that success yeah just I look at what teams at ohio state have done with rosters of this talent level especially on the front seven and do that <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, there were some there were some game management decisions here also that you could take a look at. Ohio State went for it on fourth down and failed all three times. Two of those were definitely within makeable or what should be makeable field goal range. The third, I think, was like a fourth and eight or something, so that's iffy. And granted, six points does not add up to the difference in this game, but it changes the game flow if you have more points on the board. Maybe your opponent tightens up a little bit, looks at the scoreboard and makes a mistake themselves. Those empty possessions can also hurt like turnovers because then your opponent gets the ball with good field position in two of those. Again, one was a pretty short field goal. I can understand going for it there and giving them a long field, but the other two were in a range that you can probably stick them with worse field position if you kick the field goal and kick the ball off. Well, let's talk about the new top dog. Oh, it's so boring, though. So boring that Iowa is Iowa good. Iowa 27, Iowa State 17, <laughs> L. Boring. So I guess you got to put Iowa in the top five. That's um, so boring. You have two ranked wins for Iowa this year. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty unimpeachable resume. It's definitely up there with Georgia. Georgia's got a better win, I guess you could say, but... I think that Iowa has more wins over, you know, really quality opponents. So if you look kind of at, well, if you look at how Iowa's been able to have this kind of success, well, I'm essentially what's happening. Are we still talking just, about Iowa? They're just kind of sitting on God. the ball, mm. and they're just kind of. They, just they kinda, rolled yeah. up about 200 total yards and uh, didn't make any sort of threat to do anything downfield themselves. But uh, at the end of the day, they just kind of bored the Iowa State quarterback to death. And now we're kind of talking about a situation where Iowa's going to be a top five team. Are we talking about Iowa's shot at the college football playoff? No, it's gonna be. It's uh, we're gonna... probably talking about it, but it's purely academic. It's gonna be hilarious when they lose to Wisconsin by ten points, as is preordained. Matt Campbell really screwed up in this game by not telling his veteran, you know, NFL prospect quarterback 
to force Spencer Petras to beat the Iowa State defense. And, and by allowing Brock Purdy to think that he had to win this game by throwing into Iowa's zone, I don't... I don't know how the, I don't know how Iowa hypnotizes people into, into playing so badly against them, but thirty nine um, carries. I'm sorry, that's sack adjusted. So that's not sack adjusted. So we're going to thirty two carries for uh, ninety yards, about two, about about two and change yards per carry. That's for Iowa. That's for the winning team the, in this uh, game. <laughs> Tyler Goodson broke out for a thrilling 13-yard carry that was the longest rushing play from scrimmage for the Hawkeyes in this one. Go Hawks. Uh, Iowa State's backup quarterback has a name that sounds remarkably like Upper Decker. Source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire.